This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at Upcase.com. Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. My name is Ben Orenstein, and I'm here today with my good friend, Chris Hunt. Hey, Chris. Hello. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good. So uh, last time you were on, we talked about memory. And you're still kind of on a memory kick, actually. Yeah. You've been giving memory-related talks at Ruby conferences. I've, have you given a Ruby-related talk at a Ruby conference? Uh, yes, actually, I have. Okay. Um, my very first talk was Ruby-related. Okay. It was when I was at Square, and it was called Service-Oriented Architecture at Square. <laughs> and it was about making Ruby services. Yep. Yeah. Okay. But since then, you've been like veered off into like whatever Chris Hunt finds interesting. Totally. Which is kind of what happens to this podcast as well. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Started exactly. off in Ruby and then kind of like veered into like whatever I was into at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which, which right now is you. I'm into you. Thank you. I want to talk to you. Thank you. So your most recent talk, I didn't actually see it yet, but I'm looking forward to it. But I saw an amazing video of you wearing a GoPro solving a Rubik's Cube blindfolded on stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was pretty awesome. My first time ever using a GoPro was actually not that talk. Mm-hmm. It was the talk I did at Gogoruko. Okay. And that talk was solving the Rubik's Cube in less than 20 seconds. Right. Which was teaching how to... It taught two different methods, but like we ended up eventually on the method that would allow you to solve the cube in less than 20 seconds. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the most fun talks I've ever done, um, just because there was it was almost entirely demonstration-based. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then this the talk I just did recently was how to solve it blindfolded. So I just busted out the GoPro and went whole hog on the GoPro. I didn't even do slides this time. I just used a, a pen and paper and like looked at the paper as I was writing so people can see what I was doing. Yeah, you like hand wrote slides yeah. on the fly. Yeah, just Which kept... I think is a really cool hack. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah. So I, I feel like your talks are uh, implementations of a couple ideas I have. One is like, it kind of is more important to be entertaining than anything else mm-hmm. while you're presenting. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that like you have carved yourself a niche of presenting non-Ruby topics, but because you do it in a way that is interesting to watch, people are like happy to see the talk, the talk gets accepted, like you've developed a nice reputation for yourself as a good speaker, and it doesn't have to be about code at all, Yeah, which is, is interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the reason I started doing that is I think about the reasons why I go to conferences, and it's always, always, always been to have fun. It's almost like a little mini vacation, right? and then it's also to meet people. So, you know, like there are talks that have been really technical that I've really, really enjoyed, but I actually get more out of that when I'm at home watching them on YouTube right. than when I'm actually like in meet space, sitting in a chair. Because a lot of the times when it, when a talk starts, people will have their laptops open, they're in work mode, they're thinking about Ruby, they're thinking about writing code, and they never leave that mode. They just have the laptop open the entire time. Mm-hmm. So if a talk is like just starts off and it's just you're just doing crazy stuff that people aren't expecting, mm-hmm. their laptops just they they instantly close and they're just like staring at you the entire time and totally into whatever you have to talk about as long as you're it's like a show and you're totally excited about it mm-hmm. yeah people really don't care and it turns out the rubik's cube is actually interesting to a lot of people so it's a good topic too yeah i, I think one of the weird truths about conferences is they're kind of a lousy place to learn things yeah like a conference is a great place to meet people and to get entertained by things but like it's kind of i think at most a talk can give you like oh yeah i do want to research more about that and like you kind of file it away as like, yeah, I should look into like service-oriented architecture yeah. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But like it's actually kind of like a slow way to teach people unless you're doing like very certain kind of things. Mm-hmm. But like flipping through slides and talking about stuff like that, I feel like it's not, with some exceptions, not a great way of learning a new topic. Yeah. I've always thought about when I'm preparing for a talk, 
if it's even remotely possible that I could turn this talk into a blog post or a slide deck, then I'm totally doing it wrong. Like I should be doing something so weird that there's no other platform that I can present this topic on. And, you know, something like solving the Rubik's Cube in 20 seconds, obviously I don't expect people to be able to do that at the end of the talk. Right. But just get them, like you said, excited enough about it that when they leave, they're going to totally go home and learn about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the point. But so it's interesting to me that you can pick these non-Ruby topics. And like, I think that's one of the things that people will say like, oh, I don't know what to talk about. I don't, I don't know anything mm. about this or that. But people have interesting backgrounds and you can actually submit to conferences that are Ruby related, but and not talk about Ruby and you will often get accepted still. Yeah. If the talk sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Sketch noting is another talk that I've seen recently that has nothing to do with Ruby, mm-hmm. but it's just about like how to take notes and why drawing notes is more interesting sometimes. And um yeah, so that's another example that I've seen too. Yep. So we ha- you were on last time because you had a talk. We had recently gone on our first Codecation mm-hmm. the last time we talked. This was it like a year ago, I guess, at RailsConf? Yeah, like exa- exactly a year ago. Okay. Uh, we just wrapped up Codecation number two. So the first one was we went to Costa Rica and we wrote ClojureScript and just like hacked on that for like most of the day. And then we'd like tour around later and see stuff. And it was sort of a huge success for us. We really enjoyed it. Uh, and so we decided to book number two, and which we got back from not that long ago. And mm-hmm. that was in Boulder this time, Boulder, Colorado. And that was, again, super fun. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. So like, I think number three is going to have to happen. Yeah. We haven't figured out what that's going to be yet. Yep. But so like our basic model is we pick a place we want to go. We go to that place and we spend you know most of our time writing code. We still see stuff and like exercise and go see the occasional site. But like most of the time, we're like, all right, what, do we, what can we do and what can we ship? Uh, and it's been a blast. Yeah. So the most recent one, uh, we started off and we thought we were going to do more closure script, but like we were in like day two or something and a service that I've been using for a while called Olife announced that it was shutting down and Olife is a daily blogging service. They basically would send you an email every day and say, how did your day go? And you would respond to that and like it's sort of an easy way to keep a journal. And it actually worked for me in that I finally started keeping a journal, which <laughs> I've been like tried to do like a bunch of times uh, and failed. But it was that daily reminder that really did it for me. And also because it was in my inbox and they announced they were shutting down, which is a huge bummer. And so we decided that Codecation number two would be about creating a replacement for that so that, A, I wouldn't lose my journaling habit, and B, there's probably other people that wanted this too. And so we started building that, and we did. Yeah, it was really different than the first Codecation. Like, the first one, we worked a lot on code, but like, we didn't produce that much code. Um, it was more of, like, a learning experience. Right. And then this one was, like, I mean, I learned a little bit, but it was way more around like just building something mm-hmm. so i feel like building we just, a business as yeah, opposed to like it, just yeah. technology it was weird we finished and we're like i guess we just i guess we're a startup now like <laughs> right. it, it was so weird yeah it, it just it just we launched a thing and then people were were paying money for it and right. we you know set up a, a bank account for it and it was like yeah it was kind of crazy yeah so so we called it trail mix and we because we happened to be eating some at the time uh-huh. in a coffee shop and uh, we decided that we would charge a little bit of money for it. So it's four bucks a month. Yeah. And that's just to keep the lights on and hopefully not meet the same fate that Olaf did, which was got really popular, but had no, almost no paying users mm-hmm. and you know needing to shut down because who wants to work on a service with tons of users, but no money. <laughs> I was like, hi, for that whole trip, because like uh, just building a new thing from scratch and like putting it out in the world and like getting validation of people signing up for it. And like, yes, like a real person on the Internet that I don't know gave me their credit card. And like that's like just the most amazing feeling in the world to me. Yeah. And we noticed right away that the first I don't know, the, it seemed like for the first several days, all the signups were, were just people that we literally have no idea who they are, but also they're obviously not developers. Right. That like they're exciting. just to- it's a totally different audience than anything else that I've made anything for. So yeah, yeah. It, it was interesting to see like some of the questions we would get were like clearly from non-technical people. Mm-hmm. 
that's my first product that I've made for a non-technical audience. I've been I've done a bunch of stuff for developers, but it's interesting to make a, like a general facing thing. Yeah. And how like friendly it needs to be and simple and all that. So it's a, it's, it's a unique challenge. So another uh, fun thing we did was stopping by the touring school, which is Jeff Casimir's uh, baby mm-hmm. over there in Denver, which was awesome. They were foolish enough to give us the floor in front of the students for like <laughs> half an hour or an hour. And we sort of held court and talked about stuff. Uh, that was a really good time. Yeah. I was actually surprisingly nervous for that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I just, for one, I didn't realize we were doing that. I, I just, we went and had lunch and then walked in and, and it's like, hey, you want to do Q&A for an hour? Mm-hmm. You know, I think you knew about it, but I, I, I wasn't prepared. But uh, yeah, it was really, really fun. We, we talked about all kinds of stuff and podcasting was a pretty heavy topic too that came up. Yeah. I was surprised that that became such a thing. Yeah. It was interesting because you have your own podcast mm-hmm. that I want to talk about that you started actually not that long ago. Yeah. Uh, episode 15. Mm-hmm. recording today so oh yeah exactly yeah, that's <laughs> we're gonna four eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen that's like almost four months now yeah yeah so we're gonna flip the hosting seat around and uh i think i'm i'm episode 15 i yep, guess exactly very cool yeah but so, yeah that was interesting so we talked about a lot of stuff that you might expect like somewhat newer programmers would ask you mm-hmm. but then we like got off on this tangent of like oh it was because we we're talking about how to stand out yep and that's one of my like big things that i harp on all the time is like realize that there are a bunch of people applying for the jobs you want or like trying to do the things you want to do and you should figure out a way to be a little bit different mm-hmm. and be unique and one of the things i think you recommended like by the way like a blog is a nice way to start and I, i've recommended a blog so much times but a podcast is actually probably even better these days mm-hmm. like the reach is really good it seems to be podcasts are surging in popularity and it's fairly low maintenance it's easy to start really yeah it's definitely like a huge time co- like if you're writing really thought out blog posts it does take a lot of time to write a blog post. And I think it's similar with podcasting. But the thing that always got me about writing blog posts is I'm not very good at writing. Mm. Like, I don't, I don't do that much writing on a day-to-day basis, writing a long article about a specific topic. Mm-hmm. And when I write, I have a weird artificial voice as well. It's mm-hmm. not the same voice that I would use if I'm explaining something in person or something like that. So podcasting, to me, was easier because I didn't have to write. But also, it just felt more natural when i listen to podcasts like the thoughtbot podcast is podcast i listen to all the time before i met you i still kind of like you know i knew how your voice sounds if i was in the same room as you i instantly can identify you yeah and i felt like i don't it's like i feel this connection to you it's this intimate thing where i'm wearing earbuds and running every day and uh-huh. listening to you talking and i think probably the craziest experience i ever had was josh susser when mm-hmm. i first went to san francisco for a job i was in a bar and I heard his voice, and I'd never met him before. And I turned around, and I, I, I said, like, where do I know you from? And, and he pointed out that he was on the Ruby Rogues podcast. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, it was just so crazy. That would have never happened with a blog post. I'd have no idea how this person sounds or, or what they look like or any of that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's, it seems like a much more personal yeah. personal way. So I thought that was, a, that was one of the cool things that happened in that discussion. And actually, one of the people at Touring started a podcast, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. So we can claim a little bit of credit for that, maybe. Yeah, like we said, people were talking a lot about podcasts while we were up there. And afterwards, somebody named Corey came up to me and said, I've been thinking about starting a podcast for a while, but I'm not like 100% sure what kind of equipment I need to get. And I recommended a mic. And then just like a couple weeks later, he launched his podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's at spanulate.com. And it's called the Spanulate Podcast. Awesome. And episode one is so you think you want to be a developer. <laughs> yeah. Which yeah. is awesome. Like you start with what you know. That's perfect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So kudos to you, Corey. Well done. That's awesome. So I wrote a blog post about our, our codecation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I gave a talk about it as well. And I was like, okay, I'm going to blog about this. Because like, this has been like a really cool thing for me. Like This has like, impacted my life very positively. So I'm trying to spread the word, got this podcast. But I wrote a blog post a couple weeks ago. 
and uh, Dan Crow Garcia posted it on Reddit. And the uh, programming subreddit pretty much universally hated this idea. And it did a couple things for me. Like, one, it was like clearly an example of people on the internet jumping to conclusions uh, that aren't always correct. But it also, to me, highlighted the fact that like, I'm kind of insanely lucky and privileged. So like, what basically, one of the common objections was like, no, you, like, you need time to get away from code. If I'm going to go on a vacation, I'm going to go with my family and like, you know, d- disconnect. And all those things are like fairly valid points. I'm, I live sort of a charmed existence where, like, I work a Thoughtbot with unlimited vacation, and so you have you work at GitHub with unlimited vacation, uh, yeah. and like, we both really like writing code, and like, it doesn't like stress me to write code. I don't need a break from it. Like, I, I want to do it more. Actually, mm-hmm. I've haven't gotten to write as much code as I want to recently because I've been doing like so, sort of more businessy managementy things. So it was partially like I didn't quite make it clear what my position was, or like what my like life situation was that makes like, something like a codecation really fun and satisfying for mm-hmm. me. Um, but also made me realize, like, wow, like, yeah, if you had three weeks of vacation a year, you almost definitely wouldn't take 10 days and go to Boulder and write code for the whole thing, especially if you don't like coding that much. Yeah, it's it definitely is a privilege. There's also, I think, putting the word vacation in there, it, it, it <laughs> yeah. gives it like a little bit of people automatically think of like sitting on a beach and it's not totally touching true. any kind of device. Totally true. So I don't know what the right word for that is, but people do stuff like this all the time. They do workshops and conferences and like the right. whole point of that is, you know, it's a similar amount of time and investment, but this is actually like a focused working on something you're super interested in. And yep. but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a privilege. Part of it's that unlimited vacation, but also having the flexibility when you are working to break up your day a lot and make sure you get plenty of exercise and do other things that aren't coding so that you don't need to escape the world for a week yeah. every year. Uh, yeah, my like vacations for me aren't like an escape from the burnout of, oh man, I write so much code all the time and mm-hmm. I hate it which is a really fortunate place to be because some people are there. Yeah. And yeah, I guess you're right. The vacation part of it made it sound like if you just called it like an offsite or like a code retreat or a code adventure or whatever, like I think people, I think that the response would have been a little bit better. I think someone mentioned that too in the Reddit thread, which is a code retreat. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, people have, this isn't like the the newest idea ever. Like people have been doing this for a while. Yeah. And so I guess coining that term sounded nice. It wasn't as like portmanteau, but uh, people rub some people the wrong way mm-hmm. it was in- actually interesting to see the difference in like response between like my twitter feed and random people on reddit maybe just people are like less likely to comment negatively to you directly that's almost certainly true right but like it seemed like people were like oh this is cool i want to do this like oh, i'm gonna try this and like tell you how it goes and like like there was a pretty positive response yeah but like the thread was like 99 percent negative I was like, I wonder if it's like a, these are totally not overlapping groups. Like, what the difference is there? I'm not sure. I wonder if everybody that follows you is a Ruby programmer, and they're kind of used to this. It feels like Ruby and now JavaScript. Everybody does weird things. It's like totally different than than what people have traditionally done. So yeah, yeah, it seems that could be the case. Yeah, it certainly could be. So I saw you working on a mind map earlier for when you're going to interview me in like half an hour on your yes. podcast. Yeah, mind maps. Uh, those are kind of new for me. Yeah, but they've already really grown on me. Okay. The, the way that they work. So I've usually what I've done when I'm taking notes or something or for talk preparation or this podcast now, mm-hmm. I'll have a markdown document mm-hmm. with like sections, questions I want to talk about and then notes under those. Mm-hmm. But when I'm actually doing the episode or doing the talk or something, I constantly need to look back on it. I, I don't actually retain any of the stuff that I write down. Mm. And it also makes it frustrating if I want to change the order of the questions I ask or if I, I come up with different questions that fit in between other questions or mm-hmm. I just want to branch off a question. It's hard to do that in a markdown document. I need to do a lot of cutting and pasting and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a mind map is like, if you've never seen one before, it's a little bit difficult to describe in words, but it's a picture. It's taking all your thoughts, and instead of putting them from top to bottom in like a markdown document, you create a two-dimensional almost drawing of mm-hmm. 
your thoughts and you create branches. It's like a tree. It's like a, like a graph, right? Yeah, exactly. Like nodes and edges. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of the really good mind map software handles all the, the sorting and arrangement of these nodes for you. So mm-hmm. you don't need to think about formatting at all, mm-hmm. kind of like Markdown. Mm-hmm. And all you're doing is just dumping thoughts into these categories that you've created and then they're automatically sorted and organized for you and you can expand and contract nodes if they start getting too big or distracting right so if i had like a chris hunt node like which is like my interview with you yeah then i would have like a codecation node and Mm -hmm. a speaking node and a podcasting node and then from there i would like also add ideas to those Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and like okay like i'm gonna talk about we're gonna talk about boulder and maybe when i talk about boulder we're gonna talk about these three things and like those are like visually associated with those topics exactly and you can drag in images or you can drag one question from one category to another you can change colors and a lot of that is is nice just to look at, but it also comes down to how most people memorize things. Right. Yeah, because all memory techniques that people use for competitions and trying to memorize these crazy amounts of information mm-hmm. are all based around your visual memory. Mm-hmm. Because for some reason, it seems like most of us have this amazing visual memory that we don't actually need to train. It just works for us. Right. And the example I always use for this is... If I'm at a conference or something and we're standing in the middle of the room, I would, I would, I would say literally like close your eyes right now and tell me how to get to the restroom. Mm-hmm. And we've been in this venue for maybe a half a day mm-hmm. and every single person can tell me how to get to the restroom. They can tell me which direction I need to go, which escalator I need to go down. When I get to the bottom, the men's restroom is going to be on the left. The women's is going to be on the right. Mm-hmm. They can give me these precise directions and they didn't actually try to memorize any of that. Right. So turning information into this picture your mind has this just crazy way of remembering the shape and the flow of everything, and you yeah. don't actually have to try to memorize it. Yeah, that's pretty beautiful. It's like, I know the, the podcast part is over here in yeah. the top right. Yeah. Person. Like, why does it matter? It's just easier to think about that. Yeah, way. yeah. That's such a, it's an interesting brain hack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want to try this. I've had a couple of brainstorming sessions where I've used mind maps like this, and like, they were really effective. Like, it just like helps me kind of think... Like, okay, now that I'm over in this top corner with this topic, like, what else can I branch out from from here? Yeah. And it felt like a little bit of freedom that I didn't feel that I get, like, on a flash sheet of paper, just, like, writing, like, lists and, like, indenting things and, and things like that. Yeah. I have one large document I use just for the podcast in general that has, like, a bunch of ideas. Mm-hmm. And it also helps identify stuff that is, like, ready to be an episode because I'll see this giant bulge coming out from, like, the upper right. And I'll be like, that's ready to go. There's tons of stuff in that bucket. Yeah. Whereas other ones just are totally empty. So the, there's a lot of work left on those. Yeah. So your your podcast has been all over the map, yeah. <laughs> which I think is kind of awesome. It's like the conference speaking. It's like this podcast is kind of like mm-hmm. you decide you're interested in coffee, and then there's like you know you interviewed the world barista champion. Yeah, second and third as world barista, and then first for World Brewers Cup. So okay. brewing and making espresso drinks. Yeah, and that's just like one niche of the the Healthy Hacker podcast, and then like it's. Sometimes it's Ruby's Cube or memory stuff, but like it's all it's all over. Yep, interviewed Felix Zemdegs, a several world record holder for solving the Rubik's Cube mm-hmm. uh, with his eyes open, does it in like <laughs> five seconds. It's amazing. It's crazy. The the beginning of the the little like tagline thing I made for the podcast in the very beginning was, you know, welcome to the Healthy Hacker, where we talk about programming, puzzles, memory, fitness, diet, and everything else that you, a healthy hacker, find interesting. Mm-hmm. And so it's more of like all the topics that I think are fun and mm-hmm. As long as I get somebody on that's super excited about them, it's usually pretty good. It's really beautiful that you can just decide to talk about stuff you're interested in mm-hmm. and an audience will kind of find you. I just kind of love that about the internet, I guess, which is like, whatever, you can decide that you're interested in these 20 things, even if they're completely disparate, and yeah. you will attract a crowd that's interested in probably like you know 80% of that stuff and the people that aren't into it just don't pay attention to it. And it's totally okay. Yeah. Like you don't need to pick topics that you think are going to please a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You can just do what you're interested in and put what you're interested in out there, and it's fine. I think the funny thing, like 
before I was starting the podcast, I was doing a ton of research, just reading like how to start a podcast, what topics should you choose for your podcast? Mm-hmm. And the number one thing I read was choose a really, really, really small niche topic, mm. like very, very specific, like mm-hmm. the blue pants podcast, you know, where that all you talk about is types of blue pants or whatever. Yeah. And there's, there's gonna, always going to be just thousands of people that are interested in that topic and they're just like craving more material on, yeah. on blue pants. So the kind of the weird thing about the healthy hacker is it's not specific at all. So I kind of went against that, but mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of scary at first, but yeah, I think pretty much anything you pick, people are going to be super interested in it. Mm-hmm. There's sure. some people that are like you and like have enough of the same yeah, interests that they're yeah, going to be into yeah, it. Because exactly. the internet's big, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's, if you wanted to make a mainstream book published in like Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. you need to sort of think like, okay, there needs to be at least 20,000 people that are going to be interested in this topic so we can like sell it to like 5% of them or something like that, right? Yeah. But on the internet, especially when you give away for free, it's kind of just like, I'm just going to do what I like and yeah. some people will find it and be into it. And related to that, you, only, you need to know just enough to talk about a topic because there's always going to be infinitely number of people who are further behind than you are yes so even if it's like again to the blue pants example you if you own three blue pairs of pants people out there who only own two or one pair of pants are going to love to hear about your third pair you know and as you gain more knowledge you're just going to get better and better in a larger and larger audience totally it's it's kind of shocked me how little expertise you need to be ahead of somebody else Mm -hmm. and to make that useful for them it's like a lot of people get hung up on that like i don't know enough to like write a blog post record a podcast whatever it's like yeah you do you totally do there's somebody behind you. Just talk to them. Yeah. Love that. Have you been doing much open source work recently? Uh, Your commit graph looks pretty good. Yeah. Commit, you know, a lot of that's my dot files. But, <laughs> but I've, I've got open source stuff that's mostly self-serving. Okay. I make a lot of like fun Ruby gems. The most recent one has been just to change my desktop image mm-hmm. because macOS does this crazy thing where for some reason you need to assign a separate image for every single desktop. So... That was super frustrating because I like to use the same desktop on all my screens. Mm-hmm. So it helps just you give, provide an image and then your desktop is changed everywhere. Yep. It seems really simple, but I couldn't find any other way to do it. Sure. Yeah. A lot of like little repos, it seems like, that just kind of scratch a niche and now it's, now it's out there. Totally. That's great, though. How, how it usually starts is I'll just go to RubyGems. I'll go to RubyGems.org slash gems and just start typing words that <laughs> should be a gem. Yeah. So this was like I typed desktop and it was like... 404 not found. I was like, are you kidding me? There's not a gem called desktop. <laughs> so that was like, I thought a little bit about it. I was like, okay, this would be a good idea. Nice. Yeah. Of your recent open source contributions, Trailmix is one of them, actually. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was a, a decision we came to, like, I guess after like a week or so after we'd launched. Mm-hmm. We're like, you know what? Let's just, let's put this thing out there. Yeah. People that were like following us will probably be into it. Like, it'll be an interesting way to engage with developers and like, why not? Yeah, totally. I mean, we realized initially that a lot of the people using it weren't even developers. And it seems like, Anybody that was a developer would love to be able to set this up on their own host or on their own, you know, machine at home or whatever. So yep. it seemed like just a great way to do it. And we also tried to make the code like as good as we could. We were right. really thinking about the quality of the code. So yeah. it seems like a fun way to share that and get feedback. That was one of the that's from our guiding principle. I felt like for the app was like simplicity. Mm-hmm. We fought really hard to like keep the feature set really small and to keep the code as simple as possible and, and keep it straightforward. And so I'm, I'm I'm fairly proud of the result. Like it's not a perfect code base by any means, but like I like how sm- I like how tiny it is. Yeah. Like I like how fast the tests run and like how little the user model is and like all that stuff makes me really happy. Yeah. I was glad we put it out there because I think it's a decent example of like what you know two fairly experienced Rails people can do in like about a week. Plus you know it's been longer now, right? Yeah. We've been working on it more, but I'm reasonably happy with it as like an example code base. 
Yeah. And the other day there was a, a blog post uh, from somebody in Thailand, mm-hmm. uh, and Prem, uh, one of the guys at Thoughtbot who is Thai, told me he's like, "Oh, there's like a, a prominent Thai programmer linked to it." It was like, "Hey, look at this open." S-. It was so funny to see like you know Thai symbol, Thai symbol, Thai symbol. Ben Orenstein, Thai, 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 Thai. Chris Hunt, Thai, 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 Thai. Trail mix. So yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I got this dashboard thing that I always look at, and so I have the trail mix analytics on there. Yeah, yeah. And I, I saw it get like a little surge. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that, that's what it was, I think. Yeah. So if you want to check it out, we'll link to that repo in the notes. But I think it's kind of cool as like an example, like what we think is decent code and, you know, an app that's actually has people paying for it. Like it's a production app. People pay money to use it. Like it's doing real stuff and you can see it. So hopefully you'll enjoy that. So I think that's a good stopping point, especially mm-hmm. considering we're going to record another one of these right now. So if you enjoyed this and you want to hear uh, the host direction bit flipped, you can go check out Chris's podcast, The Healthy Hacker. And that's it. Today's podcast was recorded by Chris Hunt in his lovely apartment in Portland, produced by me and edited by Tom Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for this episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 123, and we'll see you next time.